This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organization. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good evening, everybody. Tonight's show is about connecting up people for the climate emergency. It's also about healing for those who have been active so long they need a helping hand. The Wangan Jabalingu people are like that. We've spoken to Adrian Baragaba and others up at the Queensland Galilee Basin and like Indigenous people around the world, they are standing up against coal, oil and gas, which is still being mined, even though there are alternatives. In their case, they are standing up to Adani. At about 5.30, we'll talk to some musicians whose show, Adios Adani, is coming up this week on the 23rd of February at Bar Open in Fitzroy. But to start the show, let me introduce you to Andy on panel. Are you there, Andy? How are you? I'm well, thank you, Vivian. Thanks for coming in. No worries. And also later on, we'll have Kurt helping us with the interview. Now, our first speaker is Katerina Gator. She's the founder of a group called Climate for Change. They are swelling the number of people informed and empowered to take climate action. And it all starts with getting a few friends over to your home and talking about the problem and the solutions. But there's so much more to it. Welcome, Katerina. Thank you for having me. Tell us how you hit on this model. I wonder where you dragged off to Tupperware parties as a small child. Um, it's worse than that. I was actually a Tupperware demonstrator for six months. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my deep, dark secret. <laughs> um, and I guess um, during that period, I, I was surprised, I guess, to see how powerful that model could be. Um, goodness, mm-hmm. if people can spend three hours talking about plastic containers, surely, <laughs> <laughs> surely you can use, use it for something more productive. Um, so that I guess that did did inform the model that we use. It is very much the model that Tupperware uses and other network marketing companies use, and we have someone from a network marketing company on our board that advises us on how to best use that model. Yeah, well, this gives the idea that you're going mainstream. You're getting away from people like us, maybe, who just sit around reading gloomy climate information all the time. You're going out to the general public, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I think what I really like about the model is uh, we know that people... Uh, we know a few things about how people process information. One is that um, the majority of people uh, don't... We'll take in information that we hear on the radio or see on TV or read in the newspaper. We don't really process it until we have a conversation with Mm -hmm. someone. 
Um, and those people who do process it in other ways have probably already processed it. So the people we need to reach are the people we need to talk to. It also says that um, we are most convinced by people we know and trust. Um, and so this model really allows us to reach people through the people that they know and trust. Um, it's in someone's home. It's through their friends. Um, so that so that's a really important part of it. It also, I think, reaches people who would not come to a public event if if they just saw an ad that says mm. come and mm. you know come and talk about climate change they wouldn't come to that but if a friend says to them hey look this is something that really matters to me i've been wanting to talk about it with mm. my friends for a long time and you're mm. someone who really matters to me mm. um will you come along because that's you know not because you want to come and talk about it but because i want to talk talk yeah. about it with you well i went to one of your gatherings last week and um i was invited and I, it took me ages to get there i thought i'd nearly get lost but once i'd reached there it was very friendly atmosphere and you know young people they're all much younger than me and they're having snacks and talking and i thought oh this is going to be interesting we saw a film about how bad the situation is with permafrost melting and species being stressed to the point of extinction but i I've seen those sort of films lots and lots of times and one of the young people there said to me, oh, I didn't know about that, about the permafrost. So there was a level at which, you know, the information might have been new to some people, but I think all of them were on the side of we have to do something about climate change. That seemed to be the way they were talking. They certainly knew about divestment and a few solutions like that, but it was the safe and pleasant environment, I think, that enabled the conversation to go a bit further than that. And I wondered... However, if it would be enough to, you know, actually activate someone, you know, to mm. go from that to uh, taking action and really putting a lot of energy into it. And I wondered, can you tell us what usually happens next after next. that initial contact? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think even just going back to who we have at the gatherings and, and what works in the gatherings, it is interesting that I think the people that we're aiming to reach the most and, and we're sort of, I, I'd say the people we reach at the most at, at the moment, half of them would be people like you or perhaps not mm. as active as you, but people who are definitely concerned already and, mm. and ready to act. And then half of them would be people who would be sympathetic. If you gave them a server, they'd say, yes, climate change is real, it's mm. serious, we should do something, mm. but haven't really engaged at it any further than that. And they're the people who really, that film really does... Mm sort of, you know, we get a lot of people saying, I had no idea. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, and that really does motivate them, I think. Um, the people who already sort of are further along the path and, and feeling sort of they know everything, but what can mm. they do? Um, the conversation in the gathering is meant to help them really work out in a more strategic way. What is the way that I can be most impactful? Because you can feel so overwhelmed by all the things you can do and yet nothing feels mm. enough. Um, so that, that part of the gathering, I think, really helps people see how they can have the biggest impact. Um, after the gatherings, I think it's been really interesting. We've had a lot of stories back from people who have just spontaneously gone and done something extra. We've had groups who've just started up their own little group and each week they meet and they do something and they've changed mm -hmm. their banks and they've changed their super and, mm -hmm. you know, done all of those sorts of things. But... For us, the next step, I mean, we're only a small new organisation. We've only really been doing this for six months. Oh. Um, you know, we established as an organisation mm. just over oh, about two years ago, but you know, we had to establish and get funding and all yeah. of those sorts of things. So the gatherings themselves have only been happening about six months. Um, and so our next step is really what are the resources and tools we can create to support people on an ongoing basis and really... 
um, what we want to be able to create for them is the resources to help them have the conversations to the next layer of people. So um, our key message is that the only way we can really fix this is if our government will Mm. radically change the way it does things. And that will never happen if we don't have the social mandate for that. And that social mandate comes from people like us talking to our friends and family and really convincing them of the need to act. Well, a lot of the people there said that um, they could see a lot of help in social media, that they would get onto Facebook Mm. and they'd tell their friends and they'd send images. Um, I'm not really in that generation and Mm. I couldn't see how that would translate into political action. Mm. But um, what sort of political action do you see already coming out of these groups that you hear anecdotally? Um, So I guess on the social media aspect, I think you're right. I think social media is a good first step for a lot of people. It's something that they're comfortable with, but Mm. it's not enough. Um, And that very much our our theory of change and the work that we do is about helping people to have those face-to-face, deeper, longer conversations Mm. that really um, motivate change. Um, In terms of the political action that we see coming out of it, I mean, obviously at a federal level we haven't seen the change we need yet. Um, Certainly uh, one of the most interesting things we get from people is that they really want help writing letters to their politicians and really want... But I think for a lot of people it is really new to them that actually our our politicians are elected representatives. Their job is to represent us <laughs> um, and that we have a right to tell them what we want them to do, yeah. <laughs> that we don't have to be an expert and advise them. We, it's actually our right to tell them this is what we want from you. You are elected to do what we are asking you to do mm. and this is what we're asking. Mm. Um, so that is really quite um, a revelation to a lot of people and so that one of the resources that we're looking at producing over the next few months is not just how do you write your first letter but once you've written that first letter and they respond how do you keep an ongoing conversation happening with Mm -hmm. that representative and how do you get more and more people in your community having that conversation and putting that pressure on your representative well uh, something you you sent me was a newsletter and i thought that was excellent it was something that said you can read this in two minutes and uh, it put me two minutes if you clicked on to all the references only if you read it if you don't click (laughs) but it was so good because you put here the problems and here are the solutions and you didn't overdo the the problems and i remember an interview we did with um you might remember andy too that guy in norway called Per Espen Stokness, and he said, look, the media gives far too much emphasis to the grim scientific facts, for sure, but it gives something like 80% of its time to reporting on climate horror. And he said, we need to throw the switch and give 70% of the time to climate solutions and the fact that part of that is people power. Mm. And your newsletter embodied that. It was just exactly set out like that. Here's how bad it is, but here's um, what's happening in renewable energy and here's what some people are doing about it. Here's where the blockages are, you know, like the lump of coal in Parliament mm. last week. But um, we, we can see the land very clearly from your newsletter. So is that a way, are you trying to sort of educate people really, like bring them up to speed? Because I get the, all those newsletters and all those references yeah. from I don't even know where I get them from anymore. They yeah. seem to be in the air I breathe. But you're trying to give people a... I think what we've heard from people um, at our gatherings in particular and what we do in the, the film that we've made and what we're trying to do in the um, newsletter as well is that it's not that people don't have information. There's lots of information out there. And it's sort of like um, if you imagine a children's dot-to-dot mm. um, 
but all you've got is dots on a page. Mm. There are no numbers and no lines and all you can see is a whole lot of dots and what people really need is for someone to take the pen and draw the line between the dots and show them the picture Mm. Um, and that's what we really try and do in the film and in the newsletter. So the newsletter is structured with a narrative that we are trying to get across in everything we do which is yes there is this terrible urgent serious problem it it is an emergency Um, but there are solutions they're available and they're ready to go Um, what we're lacking is the the, the people in the power, with the power to implement those solutions mm. are not acting. In fact, some of them are holding us back. Um, and time and time again throughout history, you know, this is not a new story. It's, no. it's happened time and time again throughout history, and what's made people act is the people. Um, we've seen that through social movements before, mm. and there's a social movement happening right now. There are people all around the world standing up and doing things. Here are their stories, and this is what you can do this week to be part of that. And that's the story we're always trying to tell. That's right. I think we're witnessing, as Paul Gilding says, a great disruption, but it's also underneath that a great transition is really happening. We've got the Transitions Film Festival on in Melbourne at the moment, and transition is on everyone's lips. Like, what's it going to look like? And I love that idea of joining the dots, making a picture, because when you've got the picture, you know what you're going Mm. for. That's very much what Beyond Zero Emissions is trying to do. Here's the blueprint. Here's the plan. Here's what it would look like. But you, I think, said at the Sustainable Living Festival that you were hoping that this model would grow and grow and in a couple of years you might get, say, half a million people who who would have been to these gatherings, who would be getting the newsletter. And that's a that's a, that's room for political change. That's like solar citizens. You know, those people then become a political lobby. They identify with this group and they vote differently than they would have previously. But how would you take this to other countries? I think you've had some interest from other countries. How would you sort of translate it to another society? Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's something we have had. We've had someone in Singapore and a couple of people in the US ask if we would if they could take our model there. Mm. Um, Our mission is very much Australia-focused, so I guess one of the questions is how much effort we put into seeding it elsewhere. It would definitely have to come from those countries. I think they'd really Mm. have to drive that. Um, And I I guess that is something we'd have to explore. I mean, Singapore, for example, is a very different place um, from Australia, and and the way that you run it would have to be different there. Mm. I think the only way for that work to work would be for someone from that country to really drive it and make it their own. And I guess the idea behind the model that we use is that we know that a huge part of convincing people is that the message comes from someone that they trust. Mm. And so what we've tried to create is something that is replicable at scale, but it's adaptable so that each person Mm. takes it and makes it their own in their own language speaking in the way that the people around them will understand and respond to. So in principle, it should be possible, but it will, I guess it remains to be seen how they will do that. Yeah. I think there'd be a lot of interest. I've just come back from Malaysia and in the interviews I did there in Penang and in Malacca, they both had programs for public outreach and to reach people at different age groups, elderly people, children, middle-aged with children, that sort of age group. And it seemed to be like public education top-down, but I think if they got this idea they'd be very happy to run with that to have it sort of more more um, organized by as you say people who trust each other rather than top down mm. from the government but listen um i i, I <clears throat> 
I wondered if you'd like to tell the listeners if they join um, uh, Climate for Change, uh, what sort of things would they find out about? You've been collecting mm. information about the vi- this vision that when you join the dots, what's the vision? What, what would the um, if you joined up with this? What would you? Uh, how would you entice us? Because uh, you had a lot of things there about seaweed and concrete, <laughs> which absorb carbon dioxide, and I think you've probably done quite a lot of reading about the the future vision. What's it going to be like? What, what sort of things would you like to tell them? Well, I mean, I think we're, I think we actually complement BZE's work really nicely in that mm. BZE tells that vision of what the world could lo- look like with the solutions that are available. Our work is very much more about what you can do to be part of making that happen. Mm. Um, so I, you know, in a, in a complex story, you have to have the problem, the high-level solutions, how those solutions could happen and what your role is in making that happen. Mm. Um, and our part of the story is really what your role is in making that happen. Mm. So um, we know that social change happens when people talk to people that they trust, um, that um, the vast majority of Australians are sympathetic and on board and they really just need to be taken to the next level. And so what we really offer people, our niche, is helping them to have those conversations with the people around them. And so they can sign up as a host or as a facilitator or they can just come onto our mailing list and we're, over the next few months, delivering workshops um, on how to have those conversations. Okay, we, after the break we're going to talk to Carol Ride, but just before the break I'd like Carol to perhaps add anything to what Katerina has told us because I think you're one of the facilitators, aren't you, with this group? Yes, I am. Um, hi, Vivian. Um, yes, look, I think one of the things that's really important is that people are encouraged to go and talk to others. That's really, I think, one of the the best aspects of it as well as talking to their MP but just to get people to make that step of actually having a conversation with others about what they're doing and how concerned they are and that they've attended a a gathering and that they actually then do that which is quite challenging for some people to actually move out of their comfort zone to actually Mm. raise the subject with others because it's it's not talked about. Have either of you ever felt rejected by your friends and family because of all this? No. Um, I mean, I know people. I, there are people I know who have found that they've had difficulty. They've felt, a, a, I guess, that not rejected, but just that the more you go into climate work, the more you feel like you're in a different space from the people around you, and it, it's sort of a separation. Mm. Um, but actually, I've found that with this work, and I really feel we, we've had so many stories from facilitators about the conversations that they've been able to have with their families about the work that they're doing and why it matters to them. And we had a really wonderful story of one of our facilitators um, just before Christmas who had a conversation with her aunt, who is an avid climate denier, and they and she just listened to her aunt and she she just talked about why it meant so much to her and then at the at christmas um her aunt not you know normally the aunts don't give anyone christmas presents but she had a christmas present for the facilitator and it was a 30 dollar check to climate for change oh. um and it was just a really beautiful um story of how being able to have these better conversations is really actually allowing them to bridge what was becoming a divide Mm. Um, and we're hearing stories like that all the time yeah i bet you are well i think we'll have a little music break now and then we'll come back to talk to carol ride about uh, psychologists for a safe climate
was lovely and calming and that leads us into talking to Carol Ride whose profession is as a psychologist to keep people calm I would think. Uh, Carol Ride is a friend of Beyond Zero Emissions and she's also involved as I said with the Climate for Change. She's a founding member of Psychologists for a Safe Climate and I've also been to some of their, their gatherings where tired out activists who are receiving frightening information all the time and who are taking all sorts of citizen action meet up with a group of psychologists who help them carry on. I found it very calming myself to be with kindred spirits to know that we are all in the same boat in the sea of indifference it seems apathy and even hostility and that's a little um, subliminal clue to you audiences the um, being in the same boat because the band we're going to have later on is called the same boat <laughs> because you exceed my thoughts about being in the same boat so carol how do you set about healing these climate warriors well, Vivian, we started off by calling the first work- workshop Climate Grief Workshop and it was a chance for activists to actually come along and talk about their grief and by even calling it Climate Grief we actually were publicising the fact that we knew that people were gr- in grief, a state of grief and and we provided f- um, resources for them to use some materials that are a bit like art therapy but they don't have to be artists and to give them a space in small groups groups that were um, facilitated by a psychologist to talk about um, with some prompts and in the, through drawings um, what their experience was as an activist and what they were carrying really um, so heavily on behalf of all of us. And we heard some very powerful stories about people, um, people's feelings um, and what some of the physical experiences that had some health problems that were as a result of their activism and just the the bleak feelings that they they were carrying and um as as a result of that being in a group they did learn that they weren't in the same sorry that they're in the same boat they Mm. didn't actually know that before they many of them attended the workshops but that was so powerful for them to realise that they were not alone, that other people were feeling similarly to the ones to the way they were feeling or differently, but but they were connected. And so, as a starter, that was a really powerful um, experience for them. It took time. It means you don't just do that in an instant. We you know we had an hour to an hour and a half to do that sort of group work um, with several groups operating concurrently, and then. Um, then we gave people a chance to then join with others from the that were in other groups um, to talk about uh, to give them some some work on how to help deal with some of the powerful feelings to actually take care of themselves, raise the issue of how important it was to take care of themselves and that was interesting too, because people realized that they weren 't taking care of themselves and that most of the people weren't, and that they they needed to actually acknowledge that. And um, then we gave them some experiences of some of the some of the workshops were relaxation, some were um, some skills in meditation, some in in um, self compassion, some steps to how to be self compassionate mm. rather than um, driving themselves relentlessly. And that was very. Um, that was just therapeutic because they were doing it with other people that they just shared um, some of their deepest feelings with. 
Um, and then, interestingly, at the end of the workshop, we, we asked people, um, at the very first one, we asked them to talk about what they got out of being a climate activist. And, um, and that was just the place was a, a buzz with these people talking about all the things they actually liked out of yes. being a climate activist. And I think that surprised everyone that there was such high feelings. So that it was strange that they were actually talked about their bleakest feelings, but they also realised that they actually felt um, they got something very, very fruitful out of being involved with others. But I think it also, when you talk about self-care... Um, it also helped them realise that they needed to talk about how they felt with mm. the others they were working with. And most of them realised that they're quite isolated from other people in their whatever activity they're in, that they were keeping their feelings to themselves and they needed to share them with others. And um, so that was, that was very um, therapeutic for them really to, to know that. Well, Carol... I'd like to know a bit more about your childhood. You were once on this program before and you talked about being a girl guide and uh, I think you were a maths mathematician at one stage. So what, <laughs> what part of your childhood or experience have prepared you for this work? Because I think you're quite a power now in this. You, you, you're not going to look back. You're not going to turn around. You'll keep at it, I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> what, what prepared you for that? Look, I'd, I just grew up in a family that um, luckily provided me a chance to connect with nature, and that was through the Girl Guides, really. It was, and the family did a bit of that, but it was the Girl Guides, and we just really, I just connected and loved nature and had opportunity to spend time in nature and camp and cook and, you know, just work, do things without many mod cons. So I think that was just my basic you know, background. But then I became a psychologist and that was my working um, experience for about 30 years. And I think once I joined as a climate activist, it took me a while to realise that actually all this work experience I'd had was actually relevant. Sort of mm. was, it was actually going, was holding me in good stead personally, but it was also something I could contribute mm. um, to the climate movement. So it was really that work experience, which I guess was, you know, I certainly got into through my early experiences. In the family, but <laughs> well, I'd like to know now. Coming back to the idea of the same boat, later we're going to have these musicians um, talking about their band. It's called the same boat. So, do you think this awareness that climate change has put us all in the same boat? This we've we've all become aware of it. I think even those who are denying it are aware that the whole biosphere is going to collapse even the people who are making a lot of money out of it right now must see that they're killing the golden goose in a way there must be some deep-seated knowledge of that we are in the same boat but do you think it's a unifying thing or do you think it's why there's such a lot of denial um i think that the denial is um driven by some sort of unconscious awareness that we are in the same boat um, for some people they can be more um, bring that to the surface but I think a lot of the denial is actually a deep-seated um, fear of what we're really dealing with and um, and if you scratch the surface I think and really do have, as Climate for Change facilitates a, a, a deeper conversation with people, you find that for many people they have very troubled feelings and um, they're, that's beyond, it's, it's 
underneath the surface for many people and um, I think it's a sort of a grief that's not declared um, and it's really perhaps drives people to do things that are quite manic um, like think we're going to survive without making a, a transformation that we're going to use mm. the coal you know mm. that they it for some people it's it drives them to do things that are um, quite desperate because they're not actually able to allow themselves to acknowledge how deeply troubled they are. Mm. And I do see that as something that our group, Psychology for a Safe Climate, can contribute something in terms of awareness that actually we're all carrying quite deep troubled feelings and give some people a space to to actually um, express that. So it's not just climate activists, I think, that um, it, it is the wider community that needs to acknowledge how troubled they feel about and how grief-struck they are about what we've done mm. to this planet without conscious awareness, you know, that, that we've taken the spoils of, of the planet and, and not looked at what damage we're doing. And, and uh, that's, that's very troubling for people. Pe- some people feel very guilty, mm. very... Um, very ashamed about that and other people will brush aside those feelings Mm. because it's too difficult to acknowledge that and so get into doing things that actually defy the reality and pretend that we can be um, omnipotent enough to you know deal with the planet the way we are and still survive well some people are talking about an emergency and um, I think climate change does give us an opportunity to realize we're in the same boat and then row together in the right direction I mean this is isn't it the image of the boat and people rowing but instead of what what you're saying doing manic things but the problem is how to row in the right direction as Katarina said before that we haven't seen the how the dots join up we don't know the direction maybe to row in and we don't want to row with all all those other people who we we've never rowed anywhere with before so it's that sort of um, idea so some are calling for an emergency and they want a Churchill style leader whereas others are calling for a more decentralized leadership how do you see it going well, I, I do think we need leadership. Um, that I think that's partly why a lot of people feel very despondent because they don't see anyone coming forward um, acknowledging the seriousness and scale of the problem. And we do need leaders in the community and, of course, we need our politicians to take this up and to solve the problem and mm. um, not shirk the, the responsibility that they have um, to us all. So... Uh, Look, I think decentralised, we need leaders, lots and lots of leaders, but we mainly need the leadership from the government to mm. acknowledge the problem okay. and, and take um, the scale of change that's, that's needed. Well, so this comes back to the emergency declaration, which, listeners, you can find on the Beyond Zero Emissions website, the emergency declaration, and you can sign it. It's going to Parliament. Well, Carol, the last question is about conservatives, talking to conservatives. And I know you brought George Marshall out a few years ago to talk about, well, let's talk to people who are not like us. But I actually am a conservative, I think. I don't like change. I love tradition. I love history. I love things to be done in the traditional way. And I go to rallies where I see banners like to change everything, we need everyone, and Naomi Klein's book, you know, this changes everything. And I just quake in my shoes Mm. at the thought of these massive scale changes. Yet we do need everyone to be in the same boat. So how would you frame the message for a conservative like me? 
Well, um, I think Jonathan Haidt talks about the two, the Conservatives and the, um, the Liberals, um, as Liberals as in um, left-wing people, um, and he talks about con- Conservatives needing um, predictability and, and stability and um, those on the right do like change. Uh, sorry, those on the left do like change. And he's, he talks about the need for both to be talking to each other and we need change but we need it in, in some sort of um, stable way and if we don't hurry up and do it it'll happen to us but um, we won't but, but I, so I think we need to acknowledge both sides um, we need to be able to have both points of view acknowledged and work together um, we need it in parliament but we need it in our community as well Yes, oh, I'm glad you glad you think like that because I do think we do need the conservatives. We don't need them to be offsite and carrying on in a manic way. And I don't think they're behaving in a conservative way anyway. I feel the parties that call themselves conservative are acting in a very radical way, very destructive way, very risk taking. Yeah. So let's mm. redefine conservative a little bit and, and reclaim it because mm. I think there are a lot of people who think like that. Um, who, who who are very valuable. So I think we've got time now for the musicians, but I'd better duck out and tell them we're ready. So um, we're going to have a little, a short little break, um, a community announcement, and I'll just ask the musicians to come in. We've got three musicians, listeners, and they're from a group called The Last Boat, and they're playing a, at a concert called Adios Adani. So let's have a break, and I'll go and get the musicians. ECR are selling kefir, Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. The Premier's now referring to us as a rogue union. There's much support from the community. I think everybody's prepared to stay out for months if they have to. Community Radio 3CR still kicking. Join us and become a listener sponsor. Phone 9419-8377. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Uh, 
Hello, my name is Kurt Johnson, and we have here in the studio uh, Scott Lewington, uh, Dean Snook, and Glenn Allen, who are the singers uh, in a, the same boat, which is a band committed to refugees, social justice, and renewable energy. Um, they are perform. They will be performing in Adia Sadani, a musical protest against the Carmichael Mine, uh, with all the proceeds going to the Wangan and Jagalingu people, who are the tradi- traditional owners of the land, uh, who are currently locked in a court battle with the Adani Corporation trying to halt development of that mine. Uh, so welcome to the studio, guys. Yeah, thanks, Evan. Thanks, um, so can you tell me real quickly about how uh, you came up with the band? Tell me about the birth of uh, The Same Boat. Well, Glenn and I, we, um, we were basically loose ends musically because we had bands that they'd, they'd sort of gone their separate ways and stuff and uh, I said to him why don't we start a band together we both sort of agree you know politically on social justice and social environmental racial justice and uh, why don't we set up you know to get a band and uh, write about that sort of stuff so yeah and Scott being a lyricist he had pages and pages mm-hmm. of lyrics and uh, and me being a guitarist I had music so yep. we sort of matched them together mm-hmm. and, and out popped the, mm-hmm. um, the same boat cool. yeah we went we're also we're also well, mini devotees of bands like Midnight Oil and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, and uh, we just thought there's a, there's not enough political music out there, you yeah. know, explicitly political. There's people who, you know, who who will write songs and stuff, but uh, they're not, and they'll do benefits and that sort of stuff. They're really they're in the the hearts in the right place, but uh, we thought no, we want to actually write political music, you know. So, right now, um, I'd like to turn to the thing that you're you're. Uh, protesting against at the moment, which is the uh, the Carmichael mine, mm. and um, what struck me was just the immense size of it. Um, it's going to cover more than two hundred square kilometres, and would be one of the largest black coal mines in the world. Um, but politically, it seems like a perfect storm that draws together a lot of causes like native title, uh, environmental destruction, particularly of the Great Barrier Reef, uh, threats to endangered animals, and of course. Uh, what we talk about on this program, which is climate change. Um, So what in particular made you guys mad uh, enough to want to protest the mines development? I think it was a Palaszczuk government in Queensland. Give you the Mm -hmm. go-ahead. We we thought, okay, well, this is such an insane proposal that... that, uh, But money has has obviously, you know, influenced the, the Labor government in Queensland so much, let alone the, you know, Federal National, uh, Liberal National Party. And they they got $21 billion, uh, supposedly, supposedly 10,000 jobs, and supposedly all this, you know, mm-hmm. benefit for Australia. But the reality is it's, 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 it's such a ridiculous proposal in this, when we're having you know, record heat waves and the you know, icebergs are melting, and you know animals are being you know wiped out, and species are being wiped out, and you know we're looking at gigantic immigration problems that are going to be coming up, environmental immigration. And we're talking hundreds of millions, not just you know the f- f- thou- a couple of thousand Australians talking. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people being displaced because of all this stuff. It's an insane proposal, and that's even without global warming. That's, yeah. that's all those other issues without the global warming, mm-hmm. which is just like the icing on the cake. Yeah, really. Yeah, of, yeah. of all of that. So we, we, I contacted Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth. I said, "Mate, we've got to do something about this. You know, we've got a band here. We want to, we want to, you know, publicise it and raise money 
to, to help fight it. And he said, oh, we'll get in, get on, get in contact with market forces. They, they're the ones who are affiliated with FOE, Friends of the Earth, and, they, and we got in contact with them. And they're an anti-divestment you know, um, campaigning organisation. And uh, they, they said, get in contact with the Wang and Jagalingu people because they're the ones on the front line. They're the ones whose land is going to be yep. basically taken away from them. Um, and they've got a legal, a legal defence fund that they that they encouraging people to give money to. So we said, yes, that's definitely up our alley because it's, just, it's this environmental destruction like this mm-hmm. is a social justice issue as well, you yeah. know, so... Uh, that's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, so... But, on an earlier program, we had the uh, the British writer and activist uh, George Monbiot, uh, on the, and um, he said that if, if if we're serious about climate change, um, we have to attack the supply, meaning uh, keep keep it in the ground. Um, and I noticed that that was the name of one of your songs. <laughs> um, so what what was what was the idea behind that song? Well, it was pretty much basically that. It was um, uh, it was it was all about. Um, uh, how we'd just be better off keeping those fossil fuels in the ground. You know, there, there's plenty of um, alternatives out there. There's there's renewable energy, and here we are. It, it, it's almost like um, uh, you, you could say back in the 80s, like uranium was this poisonous thing that we didn't, didn't want to get out of the ground, you know, because it was that was the embodiment of evil. But now it's coal is that because. Um, it's we've got to this tipping point almost with the climate, and and if we don't actually do something about it, you know, uh, we're just going to go down this this track that we can't come back from, you know. So, um, so keep it in the ground is just that. It's all about the fossil fuel industry. So you can you can talk about um, uh, you know, coal shale gas as well as coal itself, um, that whole fossil fuel industry. So yeah, keep it in the ground, and all the wars and all the destruction that it causes and stuff. You know, it's it, it's got to be we, it's got to be put in the waste basket of history. We've got to move on from that. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's 1800s technology. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, and we have vast swathes of Australia in sweltering conditions. Last week, um, there's storm warnings all across the east coast, and our prime minister proudly brings in a lump of coal into Parliament. <laughs> Um, so if you guys had a message for Mr Turnbull right now, what, what would that message be? I'd make him eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there was a great, there was a great uh, graphic on Facebook where he, he's, he's holding this coal and there's a, there's a map of Australia on, like, as a furnace with the door open and here is his, with a, you know... Uh, handful of coal going to put this in the furnace right so it's just the whole thing is insane we just can't believe how stupid the whole thing has got you know and and I think they just think if we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing um, we'll just walk all over everybody and we're not prepared to to accept that yep um, so I guess there's a, you guys are part of a long history of uh, musical protest in Australia Um, I heard that Midnight Oilery forming to do a tour. Why do you guys reckon that music is such an effective way to deliver your deliver your message? It's an international language. Everybody everybody enjoys um, listening to music. It doesn't matter what your your native tongue is. You can still communicate with music effectively across the world. And if you can't understand what the words are, you can look them up on Dr. Google and you know what's going on. It's, um, it's a good time. But, but I think the important thing like with bands um, such as Midnight Oil, their success 
came from good catchy music which sort of got into people's heads and then they went and looked at the album cover and go oh wow this is really cool this is about an issue of some sort you know mm-hmm. so I mean there's there's sort of uh, protest songwriters out there who, who write some great stuff but it, for us as musicians, we feel that you have to have some catchy music to go with it so it sticks in people's head, you know. And it's also to connect with movements. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to do. We want to connect with people out there who are struggling for a better world, right? So for us to play music, we're all musicians, right? So we can contribute this sort of stuff to those selfless you know, hard-working people who who get off their backsides outside work and outside university and and basically for nothing, and uh, and on the conviction uh, we can make the world a better place, and that's that really appeals to us. Great, great. And what advice? Last question. What advice would you give to people that think the uh, forces of darkness are winning in this country? The best advice I'd is get up and challenge it because you'll realise that it's actually not what they think it is like these they they these people this force of darkness you're talking about are relying on people being ignorant and if you once you start challenging that you just you, it breaks down who's actually in control and who who does what and and, and who's doing what etc and you can make um, you can network and and get together with other people and and build something better Beautiful. Um, so we get down to Bar Open, which is at 317 Brunswick Street at 8.30 this Thursday to see Adios Adani with the same boat. We will be playing with BOSS, which is uh, Beacons of Six Society. Tickets are $10. They're a great band too, boss. And, uh, or $25 Solidarity, which includes the uh, the same boat, one of your albums. Which Which album is it? Let no one be left behind. Let no one be left behind by the same boat. Um, or the tickets are available on the door or online at www.trybooking.com. <coughs> and we're lucky enough for to have them uh, play a, play a song for us here. Okay, let's take it away. This one's called uh, "The Fool's Black Gold." The full black gold The highest bidder wins the day Now a gigantic ash As brown as their soul Scars the place where our hearts used to lay Yellow backs and gliders Dugong Patriots bleed country dry Two hundred years An ocean of tears We're dreaming of the nightmare collide Night the children Are restless in bed And the sandman is stricken with grief Coat of arms is turned on its 
pachamama leashes The fearsome temper We're reaping what the powerful have sown Avenging those who dared to offend her And now waves crash into our homes And while she falters and struggles to heal Polar bears die by the weak There are those who find profit much more appeal Mastered the art of double speed The corridors of power Great deals are done Fatten the pockets of the few And for a mess of pottage They'll sell off the farm is this really the best we can do? so much that was the same boat uh thank you so much to uh, scott lewington dean snook and to glenn allen thanks guys thanks awesome. that was awesome thanks Kurt. would you be able to play another song a short one like two minutes because we have to do the outro but i'd love to hear a bit more of it oh okay sure what would you like to do yeah well Okay. Okay. <coughs> this is a song about uh, the stolen generation. So uh, hopefully, no one from the Wangan Jagalingu. Into the day they came and took him away. 
They told her half cars couldn't fit in And it would be better this way They gave him a name They gave him a god They taught him to feel guilt and shame And if anybody needed a scapegoat It was Billy who would always get blamed He would learn how to steal He would learn how to cheat He would learn how to finish a fight And he would learn the hard facts of life When the priest came to his room in the night Couldn't remember a day of peace He'd been followed by trouble and strife They said he transgressed society But he'd been transgressed against all his life They trained him When they should have saved him was in was the color of his skin Cause he wouldn't live the white man's way Billy couldn't stop the civil war That was raging inside of his head bottle of vodka, a liter of scotch, two injured and another dead. Next morning when he woke up, he found himself in a prison cell. Yesterday he'd lived in purgatory, today he had gone straight to hell. Detective Thompson said he's going down, knowing a white jury would never acquit. 25 years hard labor For murder that he didn't commit They broke his ribs They broke his face Eventually his spirit and mind There are none so deaf That refuse to hear Those who refuse to see Are so blind They framed him When they should have saved him the color of his skin and he wouldn't live the white man's way Thank you, guys. That was fabulous. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very thank much you. for having us. It's so much fun to have you thank in you. the studio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's really exciting in here. So thank you, listeners, for listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show. Uh, I'd like to thank our guests tonight, Carol Ride, Katerina Gator, and the people from the La... Same boat. The same, same boat. boat. That's what I was going to say, the last boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same boat that we're all in. Go to see their show, Adios Adani, at Bar Open, 317 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. When is that? This Thursday, 23rd of February, 8.30 at night. Didn't sound like the tickets are very expensive. $10 to get in and 25 if you want to pay solidarity prices for the Wangan Jabalinga people who remember listeners. We've interviewed some of them on this show. So let's get, get in to help them fight off Adani. Um, I'd like you to pass on the podcast of this show to your friends and to see if you could go to a Climate for Change gathering. Katerina told us all about it and it does sound as if it's something for all sorts of little groups in society to, to speak to their own 
consistency. You know, it's different. Each people has a different sort of affinity group, and you might be one of the ones who can start one in your area. Um, so contact Climate for Change. Also, I'd like to advertise films at the Nova Transition Film Festival. The ones that are still coming up are... Our Power, it's about Hazelwood. We interviewed the director last week, Peter Yacono. Remember, it was about the mine fires at Morwell that raged for over 40 days, and he interviewed all the people down there, and that's another battle, you know, a big battle to get uh, justice for those people and a kind of just transition for jobs for them, basically. The other one that's... Um, going to be on at the Transition Film Festival is called The Bentley Effect, about people up on the Northern Rivers who just converged on um, the coal seam gas a project that was coming and the police, I think, were frightened off basically because even if they would have brought a thousand police to con control the crowd, there would have been you know 10,000 uh, people gathering at Bentley. So there's a film about that. There's also one that everyone's telling me about called The Age of Consequences in which it features the wall that is being built around the north part of Bangladesh apparently to keep the climate refugees out. So as they're drowning in Bangladesh they will not be able to get into India and um, that's apparently very chilling. The film was made with the help of military people who obviously are not soft-hearted about anything but just want to stop the worst of climate change which is what we were talking about. Um, and then the last one is called Power to Change which I think is about renewable energy. We're nearly out of time. So thank you very much to Andy, to thank Teddy, you. to Kurt, who helped us. He's a member of our Beyond Zero radio team. And uh, Jody behind the scenes and Andy in the studio. Thanks very much and good night. See you next week.